Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi, we are Richard and Linda Ayer calling from Ayers on the Road and actually calling from Hawaii. Still here, still here. Somebody's got to do it. The roosters are not out today, though, because it's raining. (laughs) (laughs) That's an in-joke for you who were listening a couple of weeks ago when a loud rooster was an unintended guest on Ayers on the Road. (laughs) But we're still here. We're doing some work. We're trying to get some riding projects finished. You know, it's so interesting, Linda. When, When we're at home, I mean, you'd think, hey, we're at home. We're not going anywhere. We can really work. We can really get some things done on whatever book we're working on or whatever. But when you're at home, baby, I'll tell you, the days fill up fast. And there's something about being away, and we are in a little... We call it our, do we call it our writer's retreat? We just do. We just now named it that. <laughs> we did. And we're working on some writing. But we're also happy to be able to do Ayers on the Road today because our subject matter is, I don't know if it's our favorite book, but it it is the book that we speak about the most often. When we're invited to go speak to audiences and parents, both religious and non-religious, both in churches and in corporations and in organizations, when the subject is parenting, the most frequently requested topic is what we're talking about today, three steps to a strong family. Why do you think people like that so much? Maybe because it's simple. Well, it is simple, and you just you just do need three things to think about, but there, you know, each one has its own... Uh, requirement for a lot of time and effort and things that we need to do to make a strong family. And interestingly, we're here with a family. We have a son and daughter-in-law who live in Hawaii with five adorable kids. And today (laughs) we were joined, yesterday we were joined by Eli and Julie, our son and his wife and three sparky kids (laughs) Sparky um, (laughs) from um, New York City. They just moved out of New York and they're on their way to stay here for a while and then go to Japan. Eli's work is in, will be in Asia. So we are having so much fun. But as I was thinking about this topic this morning, I was thinking, you know, have our kids done the three steps to a strong family? They have. They have. Better than we did. They have done a great job. They refined it. They did it their own way and they've figured out better ways. Um, to do some of these things. So you're probably saying, well, wait, wait, what are these three steps, these three magical steps that will suddenly create this strong family like a magic wand? They're just three steps to a strong family. And before we actually tell you what they are, (laughs) (laughs) we should give you a kind of a little fun background. Um, uh, Stephen Covey, our our beloved mentor and friend, he wrote... The foreword to this book, three to our book, Three Steps to a Strong Family. And we had, I still remember, we had some fun with him because, of course, his most notable book and the one that you can ask people all over the world and they know about the seven habits of highly effective people. Uh, absolutely. And so we were joking one day and we said, Stephen, the only trouble with that book is seven. Seven's too many. Seven? Come on. that People can't remember seven things. And it was at the time we were working on this book, Three Steps to a Strong Family. We said, Stephen, 
look at this new book. It's just three steps. People will like it better than your seven steps. Oh, he was so <laughs> impressed. You might you might guess. We actually we followed him around a little bit when we were speaking, coming on behind him. People have had told us so many fun stories in in China. Once they said that uh, he went on a break, went to the restroom. And people were so excited about what he was saying that people would, the guys would go in the restroom <laughs> and slide the, the book under the door of the stall where they knew he was. Dr. Covey, please, please just sign this for will us. You sign, <laughs> will you sign the book? He's so happy. <laughs> I can just see that in my mind. Yeah, I can too. Well, no, because um, I've never been in a men's restroom. But oh, yeah. Anyway, um, it, he is such a magnificent soul. And Sandra, we dearly love too. They wrote a book on uh, highly effective families too. And we have followed them so well and taken so many of their ideas. I was going to read you a little from Stephen's uh, preface to the book. But rather than do that, we're kind of running. We, we want to save all the time we can to actually talk about what these three steps are and why we think they're so important. So, without further ado, Linda, give me a drum roll. I don't know how to do it, and <laughs> I don't have any drumsticks. Anyway. <laughs> the whole thing is, um, we, we often say to people, look, what's the goal for your family? The goal is for your family to last. You want it to endure. You want it to stay united and strong. You want it to... Be perpetual. You don't want it to be temporary in any way. And then we say, what are the three things that all lasting institutions have? Things that, that last, institutions that last, that don't fade, that don't go away, that are permanent. Whether it's a, a university or a, a club, club or, or a school. Or a country. Or a no. country or a, you know anything that lasts. They're going to have three things. One is going to be some kind of a legal system, some set of rules, some set of standards that people within that institution live by. They have to have that. Secondly is going to be some kind of a way of sharing responsibility. We call it an economy, some kind of an economy. A country has an economy. A way to make things support work. itself and yeah. make things work and share responsibility. That's an economy. So you got number one, you got to have some kind of a legal system. Number two, some kind of an economy or responsibility sharing system. And number three, the funnest of them all, all great lasting institutions have traditions, rituals, things that people love to do things that are repetitive and beautiful and that unite them and that make them come together. So think about that, the idea of having within your family, because you want it to be a lasting institution, do you have, ask yourself these questions, everyone has them, but are they strong enough? Do you have a legal system? Do you have a set of simple rules laws, as we like to call them, that everybody in your family knows and that everyone has agreed with. And do they have consequences? Um, let me just add to that. You know, every country, I mean, we have been in countries where there are no traffic laws, for example, in like in India. And oh, it's a disaster. <laughs> it's a di Cairo. Yeah, it's a disaster. We, you really have to have some laws 
that people understand and and if they're too complicated forget it and they and they need to know why anyway go ahead yeah no that's exactly right Linda then number two an economy a family economy every family has an economy but in some families it's like a welfare economy it's like handouts it's like here here's your allowance here's your twenty dollars or whatever is there an economy in your family that works where where kids learn how to earn and how to save and how to budget and how to be somewhat independent with their own money and so on. And how to spend. How to spend wisely. How to give. How to give. There are so many useful things with an economy. And then third, family traditions. I mean, again, all lasting institutions have traditions. Wherever you went to school, there were traditions. Whatever clubs you belong to, there's traditions. Even in countries, we have an American way of doing things. We have holidays that are traditions. What are the traditions within your family? Again, every every family has them, but are your family traditions the one you want, the ones you want, and are they clearly defined, and do you make a big enough deal of them? Linda calls them the glue that holds family together. They definitely are, and, and they're also fun. I mean, it means it's, there's some, you know, it's kind of serious to have laws, but it makes it so much more fun. Yeah, and traditions are the fun part of it. That's right. I, I would say of those three, laws are the heaviest. Yeah. <laughs> traditions are the funnest. And, oh, they're all the fun. Come on, they're really all fun. Yeah. So we want to spend a little time on each of those three today and kind of give you our, not only our take on it. I mean, we did write, oh, well, let me, let's give you the background on the book for a minute. But then the, the insights we're going to try to give you are not just ours. There are things we've picked up from other families all over the world. But the book itself is kind of interesting. Those of you who tuned in last week, we, on ours on the road, we're talking about our number one New York Times best-selling book, Teaching Your Children Values. What's interesting is that after that book became a national number one bestseller, our publisher, Simon & Schuster, gave us a contract that very few authors have ever had. They gave us a five-book contract. They said, look, we, we this book, the Values book did so well, we want you to do your next five books with us. And you can decide what they're going to be. I mean, that's rare in publishing. And we said, great, we're happy with that. And then the, the question was, what would the next book be? What would the follow-up book be? The one that would come right after Teaching Children Values. And this is the one. We decided we wanted to do this book called Three Steps to a Strong Family. And so we did. Now, the insights we want to share with you are partly in that book, but again, don't you think, Linda, we've got so much more from other people all over the world, different cultures, and yet the same sort of three steps, but we've learned so much in watching other families. We really have. We've really been immersed in the Muslim culture for many, many times in the Middle East and um, all over the world, India. Buddhist cultures in Buddhist China. cultures. It really is fascinating to see that this works no matter where you are, no matter what your economic level is, no matter, you know, no matter what your situation is, this works. So we're going to be a little topical here because we don't have a long time on the show. We're just going to give you our best top of the mind 
tip of the iceberg ideas on this, each of the three steps. This is an hour and a half presentation, so we better We're get cutting on it down minute. to yeah. a few minutes. Okay. So, Linda, when you come to legal system, family legal system, family laws, everyone tries to have rules in their family. What are the mistakes people usually make, and how do you make family laws that actually work? What are the keys? Well, you know, so often we make family laws as they happen in your house. I mean, something happens, and you did not clean up your mess, and there is now a family law that you have to do your dishes and clean up. I mean, you know, you you think they're ad they, hoc. Yeah, they, they just have things happen. You think, okay, that's a good family law. We did that with our kids. You know, yeah. we started and they got the list got longer and longer and longer, and we got up to thirty three. And then our oldest daughter came to me one day and said, "Mom," <laughs> by the time she now she's eight. Mom, in the whole Bible, there's only 10 commandments. We have 33 family laws. This is crazy. we got to simplify. And she was absolutely right. So you got to have laws. And, and by the way, we think laws is usually, not always, but for most families, the word laws is it seems to work better than rules. You can talk about laws. You can say, why do we have traffic laws? Why do we have country laws? And kids know. They know. Well, they keep us safe. Well, they, they make everyone so they can live in a happy way and so well yeah that's why we should have you know family laws but your your point and it's the perfect way to start linda is you got they've got to be simple how i i don't think what do you say not more than four or five family laws oh we had five and there were one word laws and it took us a while to figure this out but we had one word laws and then we had an uh, a, a clear a consequence. consequence for breaking the law. And the kids helped us figure out what that was. That's the key. That's the key. The kids have to be in on the creation of these the laws. The creation and the consequences because they are hilarious. They will say, you know, if we go and we don't, you don't know where we are and you're afraid and we come home and you're mad at us, then just put us in our room for three days with only bread and yeah. water. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they, they don't think they'll ever break the they law. They will never break that law. But um, it really is important to have. I think that's the most important thing to have them. It's not the parents coming down as we are the power. We got to take a little break, but we'll come back. But let's go out for this break by singing you our family rule song, and then when you come back, we'll talk more about it. Here we go. <laughs> All right, Ready? this is it. At the beginning of every meeting. Peace, respect, asking, order, obedience. Peace, respect, asking, order, obedience. Peace, respect, asking, order, obedience. These are our family laws. We'll be right back after this brief break. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. Today we're talking about three steps to a strong family. And we've done the first one, which is family, family laws. laws. Going the only, on. The only final thing on that is make them simple and have those consequences very, very clear. For, for example, our consequence for, you know, the law of peace was if you break the law of peace, you got to go sit on the repenting bench. And that's a long story, but it's just a bench where we sent the kids. We had a practice on this, but they, when they disagreed, with, they were suddenly going to be on, the owners of their own argument. So they went to the bench and they figured it out how to make it resolved. Now, they've all got to be simple again. So the consequence for 
respect was you got to start over. If you don't show respect, you got to start over. You'll figure them out, but keep them simple. Keep the consequences simple. Have the kids involved in setting them up. Now, on to number two, second step, have a family economy. Don't hand out allowances. Don't hand out money. Don't just give things to kids. Figure out a system where they have to earn their own money, and it can be simple. Simple family chores, simple things they're supposed to do. Let the kids keep track of them themselves with a pegboard or some kind of a chart, although the more tactile it is, the more physical. That's why we like a little pegboard. Only have them have three or four things they have to do each day. Well, they keep track. Well, actually, we had four. Right? We had four, four uh, things. Three laws, our kids four were things. very advanced. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and... It really is so important to uh, talk it over in a family meeting, set it up, do the same kind of thing, have the kids have their their hand in it so that they know this is our family. We're doing this as a family. This is what we learned from this. This is how we're going to do it. And it usually takes 45 minutes. So, honey, you take uh, it and yeah, do it. Really. No, I'm not going to go into detail because on all three of these steps, we're going to give you a resource, valuesparenting.com. All one word, values parenting, strung together, valuesparenting.com. And you can get more on the family laws, the family legal system, in other words, more on the family economy and more on family traditions. We're just doing a quick review today. By the way, it just started raining here and the sun is shining. There's going to be a huge rainbow. We'll go look in a minute. (laughs) But on the family economy, it's simple. Set up some simple chores they do every day. Let them keep track either with a pegboard or whatever, and then have a family bank. Get a big chest of some kind, put a lock on it, have them put a little slip of paper in through a slot in the top every day of how many of their things they remember to do, just a number. Say you have four things, they put in a little four. You have to initial, the parent has to initial the slip, then they drop it in the box. I did my four things today, here it is. Another kid, I did three of them, they initialed, they put it in. Saturday comes, the bank is opened, and it's not allowance day or handout day, it's payday. And how much they get that week is exactly proportionate to how many of their responsibilities they did. Now they keep the money in the family bank. And if they want to, I mean, if they want to take it out and spend it, they can. But if they leave it in the family bank, they earn interest. And they begin to understand how... How interest works, how budgeting works. They learn by the school of hard knocks. Maybe they spend all their money the first day, and then when they want to go to the movie the next night, uh, they let spend all their money, and they're asking for a loan and so on. And you're the parent saying, no, 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 next week I hope you remember to save some. And then you teach them to pay tithing out of the money they earn. Or to give away. Or to give it away to a charity. Give away to a charity, yeah. You teach them how to decide what they're going to spend and when to spend it and how much they want to save and what they save gets interest. It's a wonderful thing. I love it when dads are the bankers and open the bank if there's a dad in the family. It gives them such a chance to talk to kids, not only about money, but about prioritizing and about saving and a whole lot of things. Well, and you have to realize this is kind of complicated and you have to make it work for your own family. We we actually decided that we wanted to have those four things be things that also created some 
initiative on the child's right. part. The four you, things they had to do each right, day. Right, for, for money. Because you don't pay a child to clean his own room or do the just the regular responsibilities around the house. But, for example, we um, the first peg was when they... The morning peg. The morning peg, when they got themselves up, brushed their teeth, got their homework ready to go, and were ready to go on time without being reminded without being reminded being prodded by by the parents you know after and getting themselves up set the alarm and you know we just got so sick of doing that i mean i was taking spray bottles down to wake up jonah in the morning (laughs) (laughs) a little spray bottle that i use for ironing and spraying in the face because he honestly (laughs) could not wake up but (laughs) i think that our um our whole family culture kind of changed when they were taking the initiative instead yeah. of us being the one that was always trying to get them to do things. Oh, totally it was. So one of our other pegs or one of the other tasks was one part of the house, one zone that they were in charge of, a common area, like you say, Linda, not their own room, but the hallway or the backyard or the front porch or whatever, and they had to check it every day. Is it okay? Is it up to speed? Clean it up if it isn't, and then you put in that peg. And so on. We don't want we we don't want you to copy our system, but you can find more about it on valuesparenting.com. Yeah, but well, just have four, three or four simple things that they have to do every day, and make it clear. You reminded me of this, Linda. You don't want kids who are starting to say, "Oh, how much do I get paid for that?" You got to make it very clear to them when you set this up. Look, there are hundreds of things you do just because you're part of a family. We we all do things. Right. Don't we? we don't get paid for them. But on these particular three or four things, we're going to pay you to do it because if you didn't do it, we'd have to hire a maid or we'd have to do it ourselves or whatever. And so you keep track of it and you get paid for those things, but not for anything else. Except the, for the reward that you get for doing doing what you need to do and doing it well. And actually yeah, one, of them, yeah. one of them was about doing their practicing. And we all had music at our house going all the time and also sports and athletics, those kinds of homework. things. And their homework, yeah. And their homework. I mean, those were the kind of things that come from them. This, I really want to do this. I want to do this. Not that you have to do this. Um, so the money is a nice little extra reward, but we did double their money when they were consistent all week. And there were a lot of tricks in online on values. And we would literally, you know, we have literally watched thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people now that through our books or through our speaking have set up their own little family economy and they're all different. The only thing that, that is the same about them is that they, you know, they the kids have to earn their own money, budget, save, spend, and give. There has to be a place for all those things. And the hardest part for a parent is to stick with it, especially, I, I don't mean to be gender biased here, Linda, but especially moms, a little ten, more tenderhearted. I, I, don't, I spend all my money. I don't have it. Oh, well, here's some more, honey. You've got to be firm enough that if they've spent their money, if they've run out, if they budgeted it wrong or whatever, they they just have to wait and earn some more. And when they come and beg for the new pair of shoes or for the, um, and we haven't even gone into spending, this whole economy only works if they are responsible to buy their own stuff. So that when they come and say, I've got to have the new phone, you can say, well, have you got enough to buy it in your account? If not, you better work harder and save up some more money. Yeah, it really is. 
incredible what it does. I mean, we went whole hog and had kids buy their own clothes and so on. We never had them pay for their own lessons or their own lunches or anything like that. But but we did um, decide that it was good for them to earn their own, what they really wanted, whether it starts with toys, yeah. starts with maybe yeah. a candy bar. I mean, you don't do this with the kids formally until they're about eight about years old. About eight years old is the time. Then they can... They can anticipate wanting to be part of the family economy, wanting to have an account in the family bank. But it's kind of cool to say, well, on your eighth birthday, you can join. Yeah. Until then, you know, you can well, do star then. charts or little fun things. Yeah, and, real you know, earn their economy. own little candy that they want to buy to have with a little star, star or a little, even a circle. You know, just like, this is your goal. I want to buy whatever it is, a little yeah, candy bar. Yeah. And so then when they do a little task in the house, you have them fill that in. But and when actually, they're eight, it works to use real money, a real bank. And, you know, in most families that have done this, when the kids get a little older, 16 or 17, they are no longer in the family bank. Now they take their money and they go down and they open a real bank account or an investment account at Charles Schwab or whatever. And by then, they know how to save. They know how to budget. They know how to spend. And it's beautiful. Um, lots of families have carried it on further and said, hey, you know, you're going to pay out of that money you've earned uh, your, for your own mission or your own college education or a portion of it. They've worked yeah. out formulas. And then what that brings is ownership, Linda. Yeah. Whatever kids pay for, they feel ownership of. Whatever they feel ownership for, they take care of. If they buy a shirt, they'll hang it up. If you buy it for them, you'll find it on the floor. If they pay for part of their college education, they'll own it. They'll do well. And if they don't, they may take it for granted. Yeah, You get the idea. Yeah, you get the idea, and, and you'll have to refine it for your own family, as we've said so many times. But it is amazing. It's kind of magic. It works. Let's get on to the third step to a strong family traditions wonderful rituals that you do in your family you have holiday traditions you have birthday traditions you have maybe sunday traditions you have maybe dinner time traditions what you should do is write those down write them down put them in a book put them on a chart reverence them they are they are the glue that holds your family together improve them make them better all the time celebrate them i mean i am married to a person who thought we should have something on the calendar two or three times a month like let's <laughs> let's celebrate more the beginning traditions, of spring more traditions let's celebrate the uh, daylight savings <laughs> so you never went that far but it really is so fun to have because this is the fun part this is so great and in fact, I think our probably our most effective ones were birthday traditions. Oh, they, we loved them. And I, I just want to say that when you start having these traditions, kids will make sure you never change them. Kids love that consistency. And you can improve them. I mean, a quick example, our, our, our Thanksgiving tradition used to be eat way too much and watch football all day. And even that was a good tradition because people loved it. But we changed it to making these thankful lists and so on. So you want to refine the traditions that you have in your family and, so that they teach values. And I think our most successful ones were birthday ones because each kid, we had a lot of kids and we needed to celebrate in a big way. So we, I mean, on one birthday we floated her cake in some a river or that the lake or Bear Lake or whatever. Every year. But you just need to quickly. Well, quickly. On my birthday in October, the kids said, we want to jump in leaves, Dad. That's our tradition. Little kids. Rake them up. 
jump in the leaves, bury each other. And that, that kind of took hold. It went all the way through high school. They wanted to invite their friends. They wanted to go to the park, bigger trees, bigger leaves. We want to jump in leaves. But here's where I learned how powerful traditions were. One year, three of our kids, for the first time, were all gone. Two were on missions for our church. One was a freshman in high school or in college. So they were they were all gone. And I was missing them. My birthday was coming. On my birthday, I went to the mailbox. There were three letters there. I thought, they're birthday cards. They all remembered it. I went in my den. I opened the first one from Bulgaria, our missionary daughter. It was not a card. It was a leaf. The leaf fell out with a post-it note on it. It said, Dear Dad, I honored your tradition. This is a Bulgarian leaf. I opened the second one. It was a leaf from our other missionary daughter from Romania. I opened the third one, hardly daring to hope. It was from our son, who was a freshman. Another leaf. No note on this one, because this was a boy. It just I, He was just thinking, I'll send Dad a leaf. He'll know what it means. Right. You get the point. Then I said to myself, wow, these are not silly little things. These are powerful. These hold our family together. So we hope that you will take these three and do what you can with your own family. Three steps to a strong family. And join us next week again on Iris on the Road. Bye-bye.